tonight we're going to just start, I guess, looking um, at Jesus, which is really what we're going to be doing all year this year, just uh, beholding Jesus and dipping in and out of different Gospels and um, seeing what comes up for us. So uh, we're going to be looking tonight at the Transfiguration, uh, which out of the Gospel of Mark. So that is what we're going to do. Really, really brief intro to the Gospel of Mark. Maybe every now and then throughout this year we'll do that. Um, So Mark is the shortest of the Gospels. roughly about half the length of Matthew and Luke. And they reckon that's because in those days, scrolls only came in two sizes, right? So you had to pay for a whole scroll. So you wanted to fill the whole scroll. So you didn't want to go one and a third. You just had to go one. Like, so anyway, so Mark's one scroll, and they reckon Matthew and Luke are about the equivalent of two scrolls. Makes sense, right? So anyway, next time you're at Bible Trivia... And they ask you that, you'll know. Um, Mark was written by, most likely, all of this is most likely written by a guy called John Mark, who we find throughout the New Testament. He was the cousin of Barnabas. Barnabas and Saul slash Paul were good friends some of the time. And uh, John Mark went on the first missionary journey with Saul, Paul, Paul and Barnabas. And... um, he, his mother, we think, was a, a woman called Mary, although there was lots of Marys in those days, so we're not really sure which one. But she actually had a house church in her home. So, so they were Christian people, very devoted to the gospel. And John Mark became very close to Peter and spent a lot of time with Peter in Rome towards the end of Peter's life. The general consensus is that the gospel of Mark is actually the gospel of Peter, So Peter probably stands as the author of Mark, um, possibly, and um, Peter was maybe himself illiterate, so couldn't write down the things that he had seen and heard about Jesus, but John Mark was. And so there there is a sense that these words come from the mouth of Peter. It was written probably about 20 to 30 years after the death of Jesus. So one thing to always remember when you're reading the Gospels is this. You're not reading a journal, dear diary. Today we went up the mountain with Jesus. Although that's how the Gospels read as you read them. They read kind of as a narrative, you follow the life of Jesus. But they weren't written like that. They were written 20 to 30 years after the events. 20 to 30 years of the disciples trying to figure out what on earth happened in the life of Jesus. 20 to 30 years of wrestling with what his death and resurrection meant, what his miracles meant, what his teaching meant. There were probably bits and pieces of Jesus' teaching written down in little scraps so that they were probably like things that they wrote down as they went to remember. But then when they got to writing these Gospels, they, each of the authors really sat and thought, how am I going to tell the story of Jesus? Because 20 to 30 years after the, the death of Jesus, the disciples are getting older. The eyewitnesses of Jesus' life are starting to become far flung across the empire or be killed for their faith. So they're starting to think, we need to write this stuff down so that generations that come after us will actually know about this man, Jesus. 
And so they wrote stuff down. So we're, we're reading stuff that they've really thought about. They've really crafted in a sense that they've put together in a way that the eyewitnesses really feel holds true for the life of Jesus. So these are the things you've got to remember when we come to the Gospels is that it's not Dear Diary today. We went up the mountain with Jesus and this is what happened. It's like they really have thought about how they put this together. Anyway, Mark chapter 9. Who wants to read it? Richard, can you read it for us? After six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, they were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Verse 10, I don't even know, it says, uh, they kept the matter to themselves discussing what rising from the dead dead meant. (laughs) This is one of the things I love about the Gospels. When you realise just how far after the events they were written, you realise just how wonderfully the disciples wrote their own stupidity back into the narrative. (laughs) Like, if it was me, and I now know what it meant, do I go back and write oh, we all didn't know what it meant. No, I pretend I always knew. So like these guys, they let their utter stupidity just come right through the narrative. I love it. It's uh, very good. All right, I want to ask you this question and I want you to talk to the few, couple of people around you. Talk to someone you, who's not right next to you or behind you or in front of you. This is what I want you to talk about. What has been your most profound spiritual experience? What has been your most profound spiritual experience? Think about it. What, what's been the most electrifying moment in your walk with God? What has been something that you've always remembered, something you felt, some encounter you had, something amazing that happened? Chat with the, it, the person next to you. When I read this passage of Scripture, for me, um, this is about profound spiritual experience. This is about some of Jesus's disciples having a out-of-this-world encounter with God, um, where they saw and heard things that were not normal things. And I often think when, I think it's John, he writes, we beheld his glory the glory of the one and only. This is one of the moments John's recalling in his mind. This time when 
they beheld the glory of Jesus, where they really saw him in, um, in an amazing way. And of course, like all wonderful spiritual experiences, it happened on a mountaintop, <laughs> just to add to it. And so it really is one of those moments in life that uh, maybe some of us long for, often many of us have something that's sort of like this, where we encounter Jesus on some level in some way that goes profoundly beyond the normal. And so this is what this, this passage is about having profound spiritual encounters with Jesus. It's interesting what leads up to this moment in Mark's gospel. Um, I haven't put it up there for you, but just before this moment where Jesus takes Peter, James and John up the mountain and they see him uh, dazzling and hanging out with Elijah and Moses... um, Jesus says to his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, well done, Peter. Yes, you've got it. Good, good boy. And then Jesus says, now I need to tell you that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed and that he is going to die. And what does Peter say? Never. This cannot happen to you, Jesus. No. And then what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And Peter's gone from like top of the class to bottom of the pile in half a sentence. Then Jesus says to many people, Um, whoever wants to be my disciple must pick up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then we have Jesus taking Peter, James and John up the mountain for this spiritual experience. And I think it's really important that we catch what leads up to this moment. Because actually what leads up to this moment are some pretty heavy revelations of what it, number one, means to be the Messiah, and number two, what it means to follow the Messiah. Because essentially, that, that is the first time that Jesus actually says to his disciples, guys, I think I'm going to die. I, I think I can see where this road is leading me, and I think it's going to end in death. And of course, they're like, no, no, that can't happen. Or perhaps the better statement would be, no, no, we don't want that to happen because we want messiahs to be kind of all-conquering hero types, not bleed and die types. And then Jesus invites all of his disciples to actually follow in his road of suffering. And he, he kind of says that's his way. And then he takes these three up the mountain and they have this encounter where they see his glory. I think it's really important for us to catch that because so often with profound spiritual experiences, we do what Peter did in verse uh, 5, which is 
Rabbi, it's really good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, <laughs> one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. When we have these profound spiritual encounters, we often want to camp there because it feels good. And we like this part of the spiritual life, the wondrous stuff. And that's what Peter wanted. The, the Messiah he saw on top of the mountain was the Messiah he wanted. The Messiah he encountered on the road saying, pick up your cross and follow me. That wasn't really quite the Messiah he wanted just yet. And so he, and it, on, he, he says he's honest. He doesn't even know what to do. We were so afraid. So he's just suggesting building some tents because it sounds like a good thing to do. Let me read what, um, actually, Dan, I'm going to mess you up. The last slide. This is what Eugene Peterson has to say about this little passage of Scripture. No, next one. Sorry. On the road, Peter tried to avoid the cross. On the mountain, he tried to grab the glory. Peter rejected the way of suffering by offering Jesus a better plan, a way of salvation in which no one has to be inconvenienced. Jesus, in the sternest rebuke recorded in the Gospels, called him Satan and sent him to his room. Peter rejected the way of wonder by offering to build memorial chapels on the mountain, a way of worship in which he could take over from Jesus and set up a salvation franchise, provide something hands-on and practical. And this time Jesus just ignored him. And those two mistakes, I think, that Peter made both times are kind of repetitive mistakes that Christians in the church have made for the last 2,000 years. We don't want to often be inconvenienced by the gospel, and so we choose another way. And whenever we encounter great glory, we build a tent there and live for as long as we can. And yet neither of those things are really what Jesus teaches us is the way. But here's the truth. We actually need both of those in our lives in order, order for us to follow Jesus and follow him well. I just wanted to have another little, little bit of a closer look at this passage. Sorry, Dan, I'm making you go back to the beginning now. So that we can... Um, this is, a bit of, not, not, not a, this is a bit of a sideways thing. I'm doing this because as we go on through the year and we're sitting in the Gospels and we're reading Scripture a lot, I actually want to push you to read the Bible well, okay? So every now and then we'll do some things that just like help us look at Scripture and really read it well rather than just reading it. So if you were saw Facebook this week or Instagram, you would have seen this passage up there, which means you could have, if you'd seen it, been reading it through the week. So every week before we preach on a particular passage out of the Gospels, we'll try and get it to you so that you can read it and have a moment or some thoughts before you hear someone else's. Richard Raw says this, there are two paths to transformation or two paths to breakthrough, the path of suffering and the path of wonder. This is what he writes about the path of suffering. Suffering is the only thing strong enough to break down our control systems, explanatory mechanisms, logical paradigms, desire to be in charge and carefully maintained sense of control. Anyone put their hand up? God normally has to lead you to the limits of your private resources. Some event, person or moral situation must force you to admit, I cannot do this in my present state. 
or your understanding of what it all means has to fail you in a very personal way. I can't make sense of this. I can't get through today. That's how suffering changes us, this path of suffering. When we reach the end of our personal resources, all our mechanisms to maintain control and to understand the world fail us and we fall onto Jesus. We are transformed. But there's another way we're also transformed and that's the path of wonder. When you allow yourself to be led into awe and wonder, when you find yourself in an aha moment and you savour it consciously, which neurologists say is a minimum of 15 seconds, then you can have a genuinely new experience. Otherwise, you will fit everything back into your old paradigm and it won't really be an experience at all. It will, at best, be a passing diversion, a momentary distraction from your common cruise control of thoughts and feelings. So both suffering and wonder both thrust us into new opportunities for growing. And this is important because in this passage of Scripture, we have Jesus talking about suffering leading up to one of the most wondrous moments that the disciples encounter. And it's like these two things go hand in hand. It's not either suffering or wonder. Um, it's both working together to transform us and, and to make us like Christ and to turn us into disciples that really follow in the way of Jesus. And so this is another question I want to ask you. How do you engage the wonder of God? So before I ask you about one of your most profound spiritual experiences, that's mountaintop, that's earth shattering, that's life changing, that's once or twice in a lifetime, in my lifetime anyway. But how, what do you do on a regular basis to engage the wonder of God? Just chat with the person next to you and then I'm going to ask you to let me know what you do to engage in God's beauty, to experience God's wonder, His awe, His magnificence, to, to enter into a place of worship, to just be gobsmacked by the presence of God rich all around you. What is it that you do to encounter this? Go. I think uh, the poets, poets are really good at catching things like this much better than me, <laughs> us. Elizabeth Barrett Browning says, Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. Gerard Manley Hopkins wrote, The world is charged with the grandeur of God. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who, who did write poetry but was a, a Jewish rabbi, said, I did not ask for success. I asked for wonder and you gave it to me. And I think about that in light of this passage on the transfiguration. In light of our human tendency to long for massive spiritual encounters. In light of our human ability to build churches and memorials around what God has done in one moment, in light of our own um, human nature that rates spiritual experiences on a scale 
and maybe finds the ordinary and the common things not as cutting the mustard as the big things. And yet I don't actually think that's how God sees it. And I think if I would want to encourage us at all with anything today, it would be to make a conscious decision in each of us to walk down the path of wonder every day. However it is that you do that. And it is different for each of us because we've all been wired differently. Some people do encounter profound peace and the presence of God in, in singing and worship and song and music. And some people love silence and solitude. And some people, when they walk in the bush or leave footprints in the sand or look at ladybugs, come alive with the wonder of God. And some of us, when we read scripture and we learn something new about Jesus, our hearts feel like they're on fire. And sometimes when we're sitting across from a good friend at a cafe and we're having a conversation, we feel the presence of God resonating between us. We all experience the wonder of God. And to be disciples who take seriously not just the mountaintop experiences, but the moments along the road with God where we see His glory, we catch His beauty, where we choose to stop and be still and say thank you for the gift of your beauty in this place. Doing that, practicing that, being aware and alive and awake to that actually transforms us. That is why we can say we find joy in suffering, that we find beauty in pain, because, it's, because God can take any experience and redefine it with wonder. He can take any challenge and drop a still moment of his presence. And if you are awake to it, it can make your heart come alive. Eugene Peterson also writes this. He says, Our senses require healing and rehabilitation so that they are adequate for receiving and responding to visitations and experiences of God's Holy Spirit. These bodies of ours, with their five senses, are not impediments to a life of faith. Our sensuality is not a barrier to spirituality. It is our only access to it. The only way we sense God is through this body of ours, through these eyes, through these ears, on this skin, with our, our sense of smell and taste and touch. Oh, that's the only way we encounter God, the presence of God alive everywhere in this world. And it does take discipline to choose to encounter it because most of us are so busy and rushing and stressed and walking along the road, doing all the things we need to do along the road that we don't actually, we, act, we, we miss the the awe and the wonder of God along the way, which is present and alive to us all the time if only we'd stop and listen. We need less in our lives 
to encounter God, not more. We need less distractions. We need less noise. We need less busyness. We need less. If we were to strip some of the distractions out of our life, if we would stop entertaining ourselves to death, we would come alive to the wonder of God everywhere. And God is here among us. God is just imprinted himself upon every part of this creation. We can be filled with awe and wonder at any moment as we encounter him. The story of the transfiguration is about opening our eyes to glory, allowing that glory to alter us and become willing to walk where it leads. We need the road of co-suffering with Jesus and we need the mountaintop of glory. We can't have one without the other. It's not either or, it's both end. As we walk along the road and we follow Jesus, we desperately need to be disciples who are alive and awake to the wonder of God in all things. Then and only then will we, will we have that love and that presence that surrounds us to make the difficult decisions it takes to follow Jesus. It is difficult to follow Jesus, but God gives us his wonder and fills our hearts with beauty and, and causes awe and worship to rise up from within us so that we don't want anything else but to follow him. So I want to ask you, what can you do this week to open yourself up to the wonder of God? What can you do this week as you take this amazing passage about the glory of God experienced on a mountaintop? How can you this week say, God, distill that down for me along the road of my life? How can you open your eyes to what's already around you? How can you make a decision to take the time to encounter God's wonder this week instead of rushing through? Let me pray. Father God, I need more of your beauty and your wonder in my life. Perhaps the better prayer is your beauty and your wonder is already all around me. Help me to open my eyes and my ears and all of my senses to see it. Father God, help us to become people who don't ask for success, but instead ask for wonder. God, may we here be people so attuned to your glory that we see you alive everywhere and that we are filled with joy. So Father God, this week, help us to slow down Help us to stop. Help us to make conscious decisions to go to the place of wonder so that we might encounter you. 
And so that, Lord God, everything that we feel as we walk along the road with you would be swept up and held in beauty. Because we need you, Lord Jesus. We need to know who you are. We need to listen to you. We need to know your presence and feel your glory. And so fill us this week, we pray, that we might know you more and more. Amen. Well, your homework this week is to go and enjoy the wonder. If you're a nature person, go and get in nature. Book in a bushwalk, book in a surf, book in a supermarket trip, (laughs) book in a worship time. Do it. That's your homework. And ask God to fill you with his wonder and just see what happens. Yeah? I might, I might ask you next week how you went. might be keeping secret scores. And I'm not, actually, but I might. <laughs> Have a great week. Be blessed. Tell each other the stories of wonder to encourage one another. It's good. <laughs>